welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, delivering shows from radio's golden years. I'm your host, Mark Lavonier. There's crime stories in this hour, later on an old tale from crime classics, but first an episode of It's a Crime, Mr. Collins. From 1956, the syndicated episode is called The Lost Film. It's a crime, Mr. Collins. It surely is. After all, if your husband was a famous private detective, wouldn't you expect him to take a case where you were the client? Yes, it's Gail Collins here. I'll be back in a moment to set the stage for our puzzling crime. It's a crime, Mr. Collins. You know, you've hit on something I've always wanted to know, Mrs. Collins. Does the wife of a private detective ever have need of her husband's professional services? Jack, the kind of crazy things that happen to Greg and me, I always seem to need him. For instance, you take New York. There's a city with something like 10 million people. Greg and I had gone there for a holiday to see the shoes and such. Just two people in 10 million. Well, a day or two before we were due to go home, I went downtown to do a little shopping. I was getting on down towards Fifth Avenue, and I guess I must have been daydreaming, because the next thing I knew, I'd started to cross the street, and there was a great big policeman bawling me out at the top of his voice. Hey, lady! <whistles> hey, lady! Who? Uh, me? I know you probably can't read or anything, so that's why we put those pretty colored lights up there for you. Why? Oh, lies. What do you think that red is? A new shade of lipstick? <laughs> now, get back on the curb before you get killed. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice the lies. But gravity, thank you. The bottom of a tar. <laughs> okay, you guys, get moving. Well, you can imagine how I felt in front of all those people. I stood there and burned. And I guess that's why I can't tell you exactly what happened next. All I know is the heavy truck started to roar across the intersection. I turned my head away from the fumes. There was a movement in the crowd beside me, and suddenly... Look out, you fool! You'll be under that truck! It happened in a second. One minute it was a street scene. The next it was a tragedy. A man dead. Well, I gave my name as a witness, and then went home to Greg. What a rotten way to end your holiday, honey. He grabbed my coat as he fell... Greg, maybe if I'd been a little faster, I could have saved him. You didn't even see the guy until it was too late. I don't suppose so. Anyway, a man on the other side of him tried to help, but he missed too. You say this guy, the one who went under the truck, grabbed at you? Uh-huh. I felt him tug at my coat. Hmm. You're lucky he didn't pull you under with him. I hadn't thought of that. Well, now, let's all forget about it. We'll take ourselves downtown to the best restaurant we can find. We'll enjoy ourselves, and when we get back, it'll be over, huh? All right. That's a good. How fast can you change? Quarter of an hour. I'll time you. By the way, um, I'm sending you a couple of suits for dry cleaning. You got anything to go? Oh, that coat on the chair, I guess, and this costume I'm wearing, too. I'll call for a bellhop now. They'll be ready in the morning. Now hurry, I'm starving to death. You got any ideas where you want to go, Gail? Oh, not a one. I'd be just as happy walking down Broadway until we saw something we liked. Okay, please yourself. Only if I pass out, send for some burned dog with some pliers. I'm hungry. <laughs> you won't go far. I... Uh, I beg your pardon. I do beg your pardon. I'm afraid I wasn't looking. Oh, it's quite all right. It was my fault, too. But I walked right into you, and I'm no lightweight. I don't know what I could have been dreaming about so very careless. Oh, man. I thought he was going to give you the Purple Heart. Come to look at him, he is a hefty guy. Greg! I know him. Yeah? He was the one, Greg. The one I told you tried to pull the man back. The guy who fell under the truck? Yes. And that fat man tried to grab hold of him. Well, that proves what I always said. New York's one of the smallest cities in the world. And this is your Broadway and it's my Broadway, but I wouldn't care if you gave it back to the Indians. It certainly is crowded tonight. Oh, it's exciting, though. All those theater advertisements. Take a look at that one up there. Marilyn Monroe with a 30-foot waist, etc. Greg Collins, you just keep your eye... Oh! <laughs> I beg your pardon, Miss. I'm sorry. Very sorry. What were you saying, honey? 
Great. Great. It was him. Who? What's the matter? The man who was at the accident. The man at the hotel. He just bumped into me again. Honey, I keep telling you, even if there are ten million people here, it's not unusual to meet the same guy twice. It's been three times, and I don't like it. Well, three times, then. So what? I guess I'm unreasonable. I've had a bad day. Ah, look, there's a sign I know across the street. The steak club. I know it, too. You get a steak there so big, they just take the horns off and serve it to you. That's just what I need. Let's cross over. Wait for the traffic, Mrs. Collins. Sorry I've been such a bore, Greg. Just as my day. I like it, Dame. On holidays, she goes to pieces. When we're working... Greg! Hey, what are you trying to do? Kill yourself? Greg! Greg, I almost went under that car. That's all right, Greg. It's okay. You want to be careful, young lady. Those cars are lethal. Okay, Buster. Just leave it alone, she... Say, what goes on here? It's the same man again. It was the same man, all right. Fat and pink and smiling. But I could tell from the way Greg went tense. He was getting set to wipe that smile off. So keep your ears pinned, friends. We'll be back in a moment with more of our story. Four times I'd met this man, all in the space of a few hours. I was sure it was no coincidence. And I knew Greg didn't think so either. You should take better care of the little lady, my friend. She she almost fell in front of that car. Well, there's one way to say it. Push might be another. Now, that's hardly fair. It was me saved her. If I hadn't grabbed you, madam, well, uh, imagine for yourself. Suppose you come down out of the clouds and tell us what the game is. Game? I don't catch you. We've run into you three times inside 45 minutes. The average is too high for coincidence. Okay, so I call a cop and we can talk to him about it. <laughs> you see, it all looks pretty hopeless, doesn't it, son? And then he just drifted away in the crowd, and there was nothing Greg could do to stop him. Well, there was no point in going hungry because of Mr. X. Greg said he wouldn't talk about him until after we'd eaten. And we were both down to the last cubic inch of steak before he started. Is that right, Gail? The first time you saw him was today at the accident? That's right. I told you all about it. You tell me again. A man was killed by a truck, and Mr. X was there. In fact, a man was standing between us. You sure? Of course I'm sure. Poor guy who fell grabbed at my coat as he went. I swung around, and there was Mr. X. I could tell from the way he was standing he'd try to save the man. Or maybe he'd... he'd pushed. What did Mr. X do after the accident? He... Why, he, he ran out to where the man was lying on the street. Was he the first one there? I think he was. Well, yes, he was. He seemed to think so quickly compared to the rest of... Greg. What? Here. Oh, no, no, don't turn around. He just walked into the restaurant. Oh, honey, look, forget him for a moment. Pretend he's not here. How can I? I when... want to know what Mr. X did right after the accident, when he ran out into the street. He ran his hands over the man's body... He felt his pulse, and then he put his hand inside his coat and felt his heart. Now, answer me this. Could he have been searching the man's clothing? He could have, but... Well, yes, he could have. Okay, fine. Now, let's get out of here. Where are we going? You're going back to the hotel. I'm going to handle Mr. X my own way. Now, there's a car waiting right at the door. Hi there, taxi. Greg, I don't want to go. I want to come with you. Now, be a good girl, and let's not fight. Huh? Pull this cap up. I want you to take this lady to the Ambassador Hotel. But where are you going? I'm going to wander around New York. Oh, Greg Collins, Mr. I... X can't follow both of us, right? I guess not, but... So I'm going to give him the chance to follow me. And when I've given him enough rope to hang himself, I'm going to pull the nut. Now, will he get in the cab, honey? He's coming. Oh, Greg, phone me soon. And don't take any risks. Risks? Me? <laughs> If anyone says I take risks, it's a free Mrs. Connor. So Greg started to walk Broadway, that great white way they write songs about. And always, a couple of steps behind him, was Mr. X. He'd given up any pretense of disguising the fact that he was following Greg. The question was, what was he after? Greg figured he'd find out in Mr. X's own good time. So he walked up and down for hours waiting for Mr. X to tell him what was on his mind. 
Then, about 11 o'clock, he decided to call me as he'd promised. Ambassador Hotel here. Good evening. Oh, it's Greg Collins here. Would you put me through to Mrs. Collins, please? Room 1612. One moment, please. Mr. X. Who would that guy think he is following me around? My conscience? Hello? Who's this speaking, please? I want room 1612. This is Collins here. This is room 1612. Who do you want to speak to, Mr. Collins? I want to talk to my wife. Who else? Your wife? Well, there must be some mistake, Mr. Collins. Your wife isn't here. She hasn't been here all evening. That was when Greg went haywire. He slammed the receiver down and dived out of the telephone booth, ready to shake Mr. X until his teeth rattled. Only there was no Mr. X. He'd gone. With no Mr. X to shake, Greg was really in a spot. He put me in a cab and sent me back to the hotel. And I hadn't arrived. So, what to do? His first idea was to call the police. His second idea was to hold off, wait until Mr. X played a card. So, he went back to our hotel room to wait. But he didn't have to, because when he opened the door and stepped on the light, there was Mr. X. So, you finally got here, Collins. I wondered when you would. You're the guy I've been looking for. Where's my wife? Keep your temper, Collins. If you feel like getting rough, remember I'm armed. See? Now listen, fat face. And let's not waste time being pleasant. I'll set your mind at rest right now, Collins. Your wife's safe. Where is she? Uh-uh. That kind of information I Sell? Sell? The only information I can afford to buy is written on a bus ticket. The bit that says not transferred. I don't want money. I want to know who you're working for. I don't work for anyone. I'm self-employed. It'll pay you not to try to evade my questions. Now, who are you? What's the idea of following me and my wife around all night? I feel it necessary to impress on you that your actions were not unobserved. That you are not dealing with fools. Also, since I can now tell you that cab you hired was driven by one of my men, you'll understand that we're very well organized. So now, let us proceed to business. Okay, pal. Whatever price you've been offered, I'm prepared to pay double. Price for what? Uh, who cares, anyhow? Anything I've got you can have for double. Let's be frank. I offer you double the price. But, Buster, this is crazy. Just send my wife back. That's enough. Of course, that's understood. We had to get hold of her to make sure she'd pass my property on to you. And, and she said she had. You don't deny it? Anything my wife says I've got, I've got. In that case, give it to me now. No, no, no. You're rushing the deal, buddy, daddy. There's a little matter of my wife. She has to be returned in good order and condition, like she was when you collected it. I'm prepared to have her here in two hours, if you will undertake to return my property. And what are you wasting time for? Get her here. Very well. But remember, please, there is often a slip betwixt the cup and the lip. Don't try to double-cross me. Oh, by the way, have you examined my property? Uh, no, uh, no, no. What business is it of mine? Excellent. Well, let me warn you not to do so. It would not be in the interests of Mrs. Collins. You see, I have her interests at heart, Collins. I hope you have, too. I'll be back in two hours, Mr. Collins. I hope you're waiting for me. Now, look, the fact is I don't have any idea what you... Oh, for Pete's sake, what goes on? Got that guy's property? Gail must have told him that to gain time. Maybe. Maybe something was sent here to us. A desk here, Mr. Collins. Uh, could you tell me, please, has a, a, a parcel or, or maybe a letter or anything like that arrived here for either me or Mrs. Collins? Uh, no, sir. Nothing's come here for you. I see. Okay, thanks. Fine. Now what? He's back. Well, that settles it. I never knew a situation yet. A thump in the air didn't help. Now, see here, fat boy. Mr. Collins? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Collins? You ever seen this car before, Mr. Collins? Let's see. 
The FBI. That's right. Mind if I close the door? Oh, boy, am I glad to see you guys. Glad, Mr. Collins. Yes, about my wife. She's missing. Missing? How missing, Mr. Collins? What do you mean, how? I'm not talking about her engine. I'm talking about her whole chassis. It's missing. Isn't that plain? You reported this to the local police? No. I haven't, not yet. Explain to me if I'm wrong, but I find it rather interesting. I mean, the fact that your wife's missing just when I want to talk to her. What's wrong? I want to talk to her about a guy named Regan. She doesn't know any Regan. Funny. Left your room about three minutes ago. His name was Regan? And you didn't know it, huh? Now, that is strange. He had a pass key to your room. Yeah, I know that, but, but he, he stole it. You reported that to the police? No. No, no, I, I haven't. Well, how can I report to the police when it... Go on. Oh, nothing. What did you want to see Gail about? She was witness to an accident today. She gave her name to the police. That's right, yeah. Well, he wanted to question her about the guy who was killed. Now, I've seen for myself how pally you and this Regan guy are. I'm... Uh, I'm interested. Why? Is there some law against Regan? The man who was killed today, pal, was an FBI man. He was carrying evidence, important evidence. But it wasn't on him after he was killed. See. The evidence was interesting to a certain guy named Regan. Your pal. You got something on Regan? Talk about that evidence, Collins. Are you sure your man had it? I didn't come here to answer questions. What time do you expect Mrs. Collins back? I don't expect her back until the morning. How's that? Visiting her poor old mother? I just don't expect her back, that's all. Okay. I'll call on her tomorrow. Yeah, before you go... Eh? Were yeah. you the guy who answered the phone when I called earlier tonight? That's right. Why? Uh, I'm taking a survey. I want to know how many people are using my hotel room and I'm away. Tomorrow, pal, or maybe even tonight. Just a check. Tomorrow? Regan's coming here in two hours. He expects me to hand over that evidence. Tomorrow we could be dead and I can't say a word to the police. So now Greg knew what Regan wanted from him. The evidence he was searching the FBI man for soon after he'd been run over by that truck. The evidence he believed I'd passed on to Greg. The evidence Greg had never laid eyes on. Oh, it was a Jim Dandy setup. And in a moment we'll bring you the climax of the case. In two hours, Regan was coming back for the evidence he thought Greg had. The evidence I'd told him Greg had. Greg, of course, couldn't tell the police anything because Regan was holding me. And even though Greg was pretty sure I was only stalling for time, he started to search our room just in case. An hour and a half later, it looked like a high wind had passed through, but no evidence, which was when he started to pace the floor. Regan must be sure she has that evidence. It's crazy. She... Just forget about whether it's crazy or not. Why does Regan think so? Gail never laid eyes on him before, so why does he think she's got the evidence? It doesn't make sense. Let's... Let's start again. There's the FBI man. He's... He's walking along the street behind Gail. She stops... He stops. Regan stops. And then... And then... That's it. That's the only way it could have happened. Now, Greg had a bee in his bonnet. And two minutes later, he was down at the reception desk of the hotel, trying to get some sense out of the sleepy desk clerk. My name's Collins. I'm in room 1612. Oh, yes, Mr. Collins. I, I know you. Earlier this evening, sometime before dinner, I sent a pile of clothes down to be dry cleaned. Yes, sir. I want them back. I want them back now. Oh, I'm sure they haven't been done yet, sir. The dry cleaning staff went home. I don't care when the dry cleaning staff went home. I want my clothes. Oh, uh, are you uh, checking out or something? I'm not checking out or anything. I want my clothes now. But the dry cleaning room is all locked up. Then open it. Oh, well, sir, I, I don't know that we can exactly do that. After all, if... All our guests came down in the middle of the night wanting to get into the dry cleaning room. Where would we be? Well, you'd probably lock them in and rent their rooms to someone else. <laughs> I can see that you're a man with a sense. What are you doing with that ruler? I'm going to measure your head with it. Oh, don't. Put it down. That's ebony. Do I get that room open? Or do you get this on the head, bud? I'm in a hurry. Uh, 
the the dry cleaning room, sir. Well, just come this way, sir. We'll have it opened immediately. I I really shouldn't be away from my desk. What if someone comes in? I suppose they steal the hotel. Who cares? It'll be no use to them unless they got it across the border. Uh, this is the room, and please hurry. Now, the clothes to be cleaned are all thrown on the table in the middle of the room. I'll turn the light on for you. There they are. That pile on top. They're what I'm looking for. Well, if you'll just kindly bundle them up and get out of now, here. Don't worry, I'm not taking them with me. I just want something from one of the pockets. If it's something valuable, sir, it would have been returned to you in the morning. In the morning? Buster, that would have been too late. By morning, you'd have had two corpses on your hands. Uh, uh, corpses? As in delicti. <clears throat> okay. I've got what I came for. Let's get out of here. Another two minutes and Greg was in his room again. His watch said he had ten minutes to wait. But Regan was already there with a so-called cab driver and me. So you're back, Mr. Collins. For one moment, I thought you'd run out on us. Oh, Greg. Greg, I've been so frightened. Just stay on this side of the room, Mrs. Collins. You keep away from me, you great mutt. Just as soon as our business is completed, I'll be happy to get out of your lives forever. Until then, Mrs. Collins stays where she is. So you're still touring that gun, huh? A small precaution. Greg, explain to him we have the faintest idea. Hold it, Gail. Mr. whatever your name is, we just don't know what it is I'm supposed to have stolen. Mr. Regan, don't listen to her. She doesn't know what she's talking you about. You know my name. Sure, I know your name. And I think I've got what you want. I'll hand it over. Take it. One spool of film. Film? Where did that come from? From you, honey, from you. Huh? You're a good actress, Mrs. Collins. Luckily, your husband realizes I'm not a man to be trifled with. Well, thank you for this film, Collins. It means a lot to me. You may now take delivery of your wife. Greg, where are you? Save it, honey. We're on our way, Collins. Trust we don't meet again. Oh, by the way, do you know what's on this spool of film? I'll tell you. Evidence that had sent me up the river for a long, long time. They give you a lot of years for tax fraud in this country. So where does the spool of film come in? It's a microfilm of the records of my nightclub business. The records the tax department doesn't see. In that case, maybe I better take it, Regan. What the... Greg, it's the police! Watch him, he's got a gun! That's all there was in it. One shot and one scream. Mr. Regan's shooting hand gave him trouble for a couple of months where the bullet hit him. Otherwise, no one was hurt. The FBI men took possession of Regan, the spool of film, and the thorny cab driver. And after the shouting and the fuss from the desk clerk had quietened down, there was Greg, grinning like an alligator. <laughs> so what do you say about your husband now, huh? Is he bright enough? Greg Collins, I'm so mad I could spit chips. You had what Regan was looking for all the time. Hmm? You must have. That spool of film, you must have had it. Darling, you had it. I never laid eyes on it until about two minutes before I saw you in here with Regan. Oh, don't talk nonsense. I'd never seen that film until I knew you... you hadn't seen it, but you had it. Look, remember what you said about the FBI man, the one who went under the truck? What did I say about him? You said he grabbed at your coat as he fell. Well, he did. He didn't grab at it. He had his hand in your pocket. What? He knew Regan was tailing him. He had to get rid of that film somehow. The way I figured, he was working undercover. The time wasn't right to reveal his identity, so he got rid of the film. Honey, I must have been right. The spool of film was in the pocket of that coat you sent for dry cleaning. But how, I mean, how did you figure that out? Simple enough. I asked myself why Regan should pick on you as the one who had the film. He must have had some reason. The reason was you were standing next to the FBI man. He wouldn't just throw the film away. He must have passed it on. That made you the only logical contender. I just don't know what to say. You hadn't worked things out the way you did. Oh, Greg. Oh, come here. Now, what do you think this thing is on my shoulder? Oh, it's a face again. It's a head. And inside that head, well, they'd sawdust, you know. It's a brain, Mrs. Collins. Don't go away. In just a moment, we'll be back with you. Venture, the last film. Be sure to visit us next time for another puzzle in murder. For whether it's crime and romance, there you'll find Mr. and Mrs. Collins.
It's a Crime, Mr. Collins, on Tuned to Yesterday, that syndicated episode from 1956. The show was transcribed in New York City and had a run from August of 1956 through February of 1957 on mutual radio affiliates, typically heard Thursday nights at 8.30. You're listening to an hour of crime on Tuned to Yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Levonier. Now time for a true story on Crime Classics, a CBS broadcast from January 20th, 1954, called Madeline Smith, Maid or Murderess, Witch. Good evening. This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Highland with another true story of crime. Listen. That's the way the doorbell sounded at number 14 Pembroke Street in Glasgow, Scotland. That's the way it sounded if a fellow was impatient. If he had just come home from Madeline Smith's house on a March day in 1857 and really wanted in... His name was Pierre-Emile Langelier, and the door was in his way. Why didn't someone answer anyway? Here comes his landlady. She gasped because Pierre was her favorite lodger, and he looked terrible. Awful, standing there in the doorway, swaying, before he fell on his face. Dead. Tonight, my report to you on Madeline Smith, a maid or murderess. Which? Crime Classics. A series of true crime stories from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Highland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Mr. Thomas Highland. Even in the middle 1800s, Kelvin Grove Park was a place to be reckoned with in Glasgow, in the springtime particularly, a bonny place, a place of greens and merry shouts, where gambled the bekilted young people, or the more serious ones where they strolled hand in hand toward some magical and shady and secret glen. In a street which paralleled the park, Pembroke Street, there was a red brick house, It was owned by Mary Perry, a woman of 50 who liked imaginative men, young men of elegance and foreign flavor, like her lodger, Pierre-Emile Langelier. In all my travels the world over, my dear Mademoiselle Perry, I have never seen such a girl. Uh, Once in Algiers, perhaps. But uh, that is another story. Temps perdu, temps perdu. For the last week, you've done nothing but talk about this young lady, Pierre. Where did you see her today? Auprès de la ducks. Where the pond for them is, throwing to them little pieces of bread, and some, more brave than the rest, would swim close to her, and she would make small noises to them and feed them from her hand. And what else, mademoiselle, you will never guess? Oh, tell me. Her name is Madeleine. Madeleine Smith. Oh, how do you know? This morning, there was a maidservant with her. And they became separated for a moment, and uh, I approached the maidservant. With that way you have, I'll wager. <laughs> that thing you, you do with your moustache. Well, yes. Yeah, do it for me. Uh, no, mademoiselle. Ah, please. No, mademoiselle. Oh, see, we play. Uh, very well. Um. <laughs> Mm. Oh, enough, enough. <laughs> and from the maidservant, you learned the lady's name. Yes, and what her father's name is and where she lives. Oh. Her father is Monsieur Smith, the architect, a man of wealth and position. I spent the rest of the morning trying to locate his bank. And did you? Certainly, he is very wealthy, which makes Madeleine a beautiful young woman with a wealthy father. Ah, I am happy for you, Pierre. Oh, but alas, Madeleine is still to me a stranger. But you know so well how to... uh... Oh, no, this is a young lady of refinement. I love her very much. If I should do this thing you like me to do and she would laugh at me... I would jump into the duck pond and drown myself forever. Uh, Then how would you meet her? Uh, Will you help me, cher mademoiselle? Will you help me? (laughs) (laughs) 
Greedy, greedy, greedy. Oh, very well. Here's one for you. <laughs> Here's some bread. Here you are, you lovelies. Bread for you and you and you. <laughs> isn't it a lovely day? I, I beg your pardon? I, I said, isn't it a lovely day? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. The ducks seem so, um, frisky today, don't they? Oh, uh, except Abby. See how she sulks there. Here, Abby. Here, here. Oh, sulky duck. Young miss. Yes? You come here every day, don't you? Why, yes. I watch you from my window from across the street. Why, whatever for? Oh, such a young thing and beautiful you are, which is such a joy to an old lady such as I. To an... Uh, What's the matter? Uh, I have a pain. Oh, dear. Where? The nasties. They come on me. I, I think I'll faint. Oh, my. I'll help you over to the bench. And, here, put your arm about my waist. and Careful now. Dear ladies, may I be of some assistance? I have here a home medical advisor of the era, the nasties, also known as the vapors, a sudden attack of malaise, predominantly in the female sex, usually preceding a faint. Symptoms, loud noises in the ears, quickening of the heartbeat, and dizziness. Make patient comfortable and apply smelling salts. Now, lie down here on the bench, madame, and we will try to make you comfortable. Uh, ah. Now, if there were smelling salts... I have smelling salts. Oh, how beautiful of you. What? Quickly, the smelling salts. And that's the way they met. Mary Perry inhaling the smelling salts and the two young folk looking at her, concerned. Then the two young folk looked at each other and became more concerned and trembled a bit. And the symptoms they felt were quickening of the heartbeat, dizziness, and loud noises in the ears. And they did what young folks most always did when they are met in Kelvin Grove Park. Somehow their fingertips met and their hands and they strolled and they found a shady glen. Miss Perry watched them disappear with a happy tear in her eye. She had done her bit for Pierre. Things went so well between the two young people that a couple of weeks later... This was the state of affairs. Your mama and papa asleep. Oh, quickly. Come on in. Careful. Careful. Oh. Every time you come through this window... Then why do you not put the lamp in another place? Oh, my darling. Oh, we were married. Oh, wonderful. Oh, right way. Then you've talked to your mama and your papa. Yes. And they are happy. They are overjoyed. No. But you said... We can still get married. You have a job and, and I'll work and... You? Work? Oh. What's the matter? The thought of you at work. Stitching and sewing. Or, or, or at the laundry... With these fingers, these precious little fingers. Oh, Pierre. In other words, your mama and your papa... Will disinherit me if I marry you? I refuse to have you disinherited. Then we won't get married? No, somehow, somehow... What? It is more romantic this way. Letters to each other each day. And the clandestine meeting. And the kisses. And the... <laughs> I know. The hot chocolate. Oh, yes. It should be boiling now. I'll bring it to you. And that was the romance. My own beloved, you have just left me. 
Oh, sweet darling, at this moment my heart and soul burns with love for thee, my own sweet one. Oh, what would I not give at this moment to be your fond wife? I love you with all my heart and soul, sweet love. To which her lover answered, My dearest beloved Mimi, since I saw you I have been wretchedly sad. Think of the consequences if I were never to marry you. What reproaches I should have, Mimi. However, as soon as your papa pledges not to disinherit you, there will be a wedding the likes of which... And the meetings. And the nourishment. Oh, Mimi. The hot chocolate of my Mimi is... Oh. Yes. Oh, my darling. No, oh. listen. Y- yes? We have been meeting like this for six months now. Six months of paradise and bliss and sick. When will we marry? Has your father changed his mind? Today my father introduced me to a young man. Oh, who will quickly fall in love with you and die in despair for your love. Oh, Mimi. Wait. Me. Why? His name is William Minnock, and he is handsome and he is rich. And? Oh, Pierre, I do wish we could get married. And that's the way it's done, Miss Smith. Manipulation. Borrow from one stock to buy the other, and when the other is gone up, then we pay back. You see? And that is how one becomes rich, Mr. Minnock? <laughs> well, is it? Oh, I suppose so. Oh, Miss Smith. Careful, careful, he'll fall. Perhaps you'd just better row, Mr. Minnock. All right. Miss Smith. Yes? William? You said William. Yes, I did. And may I call you... Madeline. 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 Yes? It's two months since I've known you. Yes. Last night, I... I spoke to your father. About me. How dear you are to me. How much I love you. And what did my father say to you? That if you'll have me, he would be very happy. Oh, Madeline. What? I don't know. I, I just don't know. But you must. These wonderful days together, you've, you've given me hope. Oh, William. I... Put the oars down. Now, come here. <gasps> Kiss me, William. Oh, why, William. That, that was very nice, William. Very nice indeed. <laughs> Madeline. 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 Mm-hmm. Better and better gets your hot chocolate, chérie. My sweetheart, my love. There is something I must ask you, Pierre. Yes? My letters. I have saved every one. I want them back. But why, my pigeon? Well, I, I think sometimes of what I've written to you and such outpourings. But your outpourings are for my eyes alone. Oh, give them back to me. No. But why not? I will tell you why not, little dove. If you look with love at another man, I will take the letters to your father and prove to him that your love for this another man is a passing thing and that your love is only for me, your true love, who you will marry as soon as your father puts aside a suitable dowry for you. I see. Of course you do. You are blackmailing me, Pierre. Oh, love, love, come to me. Kiss me, kiss me. How cool your lips are, love. 
Apothecary. I would like five ounces of arsenic. And you know how Pierre liked his hot chocolate. listening to Crime Classics and your host, Thomas Hyland, and his report to you on Madeline Smith, Maid or Murderess, Which? A few words about arsenic. Its number on the Mendeleev table is 33. Its atomic weight is 74.93, and it has a valence of 3 and 5. It is of a silvery luster, but be careful about exposing it to the air, since it will tarnish readily. It is used widely in glass works, in making pigments, in calico and indigo printing, and for poisoning animals. Some people eat it. In the Balkans in particular, it is possible to brush shoulders with arsenic eaters. Other people, however, less innocent, use arsenic to poison people. Still other people use arsenic to poison themselves. I would like to remind you that Madeline Smith, a beauty of Glasgow, Scotland, purchased five ounces of the stuff from McConnert, the apothecary. But then arsenic was also used for the skin as a clarifying agent, it is said. Madeline purchased it, went home, had dinner, chatted with her folks, waited for them to sleep, put some hot chocolate to a boil, returned to her room, waited a bit, and opened the window. Oh, chérie, chérie. My darling. Vraiment? What? Truly? Why, of course you are my darling. Then what about Monsieur Minor? What endearment did you name him? Guppy? Sweet bun? What? Lovey? Honey pie? Ginger snap? What? I have seen you. Spy. Because only I am a man in love. Therefore, I am capable of every ruse. What is spying to a man in love? If you loved me, you'd give me back my letters. Oh, letters, letters. Oh, my darling, give them back to me. If I did, how would I keep my heart warm when you are not near to it? How would I be... Stop it, stop it. Of course. Now, come to me. No. Pierre. Yes? You are cruel. Cruel and gentle, sane and mad, the prerogatives of a man in love. Yet you would show those letters to my father. To, to your father, to your mother, to the man on the street, anything to keep you from another. Pierre. Yes, little pigeon. You say that you've seen me with Mr. Minock. How? I was behind the bush in the park, near the glen that we used to know. And? I heard Monsieur Minock ask over and over that you set a marriage date. I heard also your laughing, but I did not hear you saying no. Father said I might marry him, Pierre. Then tell your papa you do not wish it. Oh, Madeleine. Yes. This morning I read again your letters. Such letters, such warmth, such eagerness... Such ardor, such... Uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> Is there chocolate, Mimi? Oh, always. I'll fetch it. Oh, little pigeon. And you? Me? The most perfect landlady in the whole world. Pierre! Help me. Help me. Oh, what's, the, what's the matter? You have the nasties. You have... Miss Perry knelt over Pierre, and she knew right away it wasn't the nasties. His eyes were rolling around, and his mouth was grimacing in wordless pain. 
She went for the cologne, dabbed a little on herself, came back, dabbed a little bit on her lodger. A little later, she helped him up the stairs. Oh, lean on me, Pierre, lean on me. And helped him to his bed. Miss Perry was never so efficient as when there was a helpless man about. The next morning, Pierre was completely recovered. The next night, he went to visit Madeline in her chambers again. Refused to give up the letters again. And had some of that good hot chocolate again. Came home to Miss Perry and fell flat on his face again. This time, he was in bed for three days. Which brings us to the evening of March 23rd. As he was walking toward his sweetheart's house, Madeline Smith was attending Mr. Minnach. Oh, come sit by me, William. Hmm? Sit here by me. I, I wish to talk with you. Okay. Oh, dear William, do you love me very much, William? Okay. Oh, how much? From, from here to a star, Father... Suppose, suppose, William... Hush, hush, hush. Oh, but, but you must listen. No, no, you listen to me. If you're about to tell me about that monsieur, uh, about Pierre Langelier, don't. I have heard whispers, but I deny them with a laugh and a shrug in it. What's that? Oh, the, the shutter, perhaps. Nothing. Uh, I'll see what it is. Oh, and William. I love. There's some chocolate on the kitchen table. Uh, put it on the stove over the fire. Of course, love. And and wait for me down there. Cherie. Quickly, come in. you, I have missed you, I have missed you. Oh, my darling. Three days I was in bed and my thoughts of you always dearest me. I know your thoughts fled to me and caressed me and warned me. Rima? Truly. Was there ever love such as ours? Never, never. Oh, never. And eventually... What? We will marry. Did you know that? Do you truly think so? What manner of man would I be? This is tapping upon the window, this stepping over the casement to your arms. Of course we will marry someday. Oh? Of course. For each day, each night that I come here to you and hold you close, I bind you closer to me and there is no escape. No escape? None. Pierre? Yes? Haven't you been feeling well? Uh, Well, I said to you I was in bed for three days. Why? From what illness? Love all over. Twice. Oh? Each time I have left you, the last two times, I have gone to my lodging house and I have skinned. Oh? Madeleine, I know just the thing. Oh? Hot chocolate. I'll fetch you some. Oh, guppy. March 26th, and on Monday, the 30th... Look at those letters, sir. I told you she poisoned him. These letters, sir. They, they, they were in his room. I was the dear man's landlady, and I, I demand the police read these letters. The police read them. On Tuesday, they dug Pierre up again, shipped him to the laboratories, and the skillful men there found 86 grains of arsenic in his body. That same day, Madeline was arrested charged with two counts of attempted murder and one count of murder and brought to trial on the 30th of June. Madeline herself did not testify, but Mr. Minoch did. I am a merchant in Glasgow. In the course of the last months, I paid my addresses to Miss Smith and I have made proposals of marriage to her. She accepted. I knew, of course, that 
She knew a man named Pierre-Emile Langelier, but I was unaware of an attachment or peculiar intimacy between she and this man. And uh, of the letters this court has read, I... What of the letters, Mr. Minot? I don't know what to say. Yes, I do. I'm shocked. I'm deeply shocked. The trial lasted nine days. To one charge of attempted murder, Madeline Smith was found not guilty. To the other charge of attempted murder, the verdict brought in was not proven. To the charge of murder, the verdict, not proven. I uh, want to congratulate you, Madeline, on your acquittal. Oh, now we can be wed. Oh, no. I'm off to India. However, she did get married twice, and she came to America. She lived till she was 90 years old. An amazing thing. Her complexion, always clear and youthful. She was a frequent sight at the drug counters, a big buyer of arsenic, wherever she was. Crime Classics on Tuned to Yesterday, a CBS episode from the 20th of January, 1954. And that wraps up this hour of crime on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from radio's golden years. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Livonier. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) 